0: Hello, Great Minds. It's not Thanksgiving, it's Tuesday, but who really cares? It's Thanksgiving this Thursday, and I couldn't pass up a chance to chat about this beautiful, bountiful, butterful holiday once more. So get yourself a drink to wash down that turkey leg, and join me in raising a glass, because it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, as we discuss the rich and hmm, flavorful history of Thanksgiving. So, where the hell should we begin? The first Thanksgiving? Sure, I'll start the tale, as it should be told. Beavers, what an adorable little creature. Ah, uh, Mr. DJMH, hold on one second. That critter has absolutely nothing to do with, with our turkey-themed Thanksgiving holiday. Au contraire, mes amis. Our furry, French-fearing friend was front and center in what most people consider the picturesque first Thanksgiving. So before we dive into this holiday's rich oddly presidential history, which in the US means turkey, football, giant balloons and pilgrims, let's talk about hats. When Europeans first arrived in North America, they were extremely relieved to find a plentiful supply of beaver that Europe just no longer had. You see Europeans had pretty much slain every beaver they could get their hands on to feed their fashion frenzy, and almost regardless of when, early modern European fashion was all about getting some beaver, from commoners to pilgrims to the European aristocracy beaver felt and fur hats dominated the 17th and 18th century fashion market and led to a bit of beaver fever in North America. I mean, kings of Europe, I believe actually uh, in Scotland, were outlawing who could wear, actually limiting who could wear fur outfits to the royal family and high nobility alone. It became a status symbol for them. But I'm already going too deep into that for right now, and I've already discussed it elsewhere on the show. But I will say this, from about 1630, well into the 19th century, the beaver was at the center of just about every Euro-American war on the North American continent. The Beaver Wars, all four French and Indian Wars, the American Revolution, and the War of 1812. We're really all about getting some beaver. But let's get back to Thanksgiving. So yeah, it's Thanksgiving time again. When I first made this episode, it was in the heart of the COVID years at the end of season one. I sure am glad that we aren't celebrating at a distance anymore. Sorry for any horrific flashbacks I may be drawing up. But at least now we can get together with family, and that mess seems to be at least approaching its end. As always, I'm certainly thankful for this show. My little DGMH family, my listeners, and all its antics, incest jokes, and beaver stories that we have shared over the past three years. And since Season 3 is out to kill me, and it seems this has become a bit of a season of remasterings, in a desperate attempt to not witness my own fall, I figured what the hell, let's add a little spice to that pumpkin pie and revisit the Thanksgiving special. Of course, with some added content. And I had to have a new drink. So I ran over to Total Wine to grab the most gobbled beer that I could find, and I couldn't find shit. So back to pumpkins we go. On this episode, I tried the true drink of fall, the pumpkin spice latte, but not the one you're thinking. No, this one is out of one of my favorite Florida breweries, the home of Hazify, Palm City Brewing in Fort Myers. And this quote, Mummy's PSL, was fantastic. Even if it was a one and done for me, that one was pretty fucking good. Well, let's get to it. The history, or I guess histories, of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. From turkeys to presidents and all the fun stories in between, we will hit on as much of the rich and oddly contentious history of this gluttonous American holiday as I can squeeze into this short bonus episode. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me, it's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So naturally, we have to start with the first Thanksgiving, and here I mean the first one in the Americas, by far the most famous one, the one with all those beaver hat-wearing pilgrims. Well, the first Thanksgiving, which did not happen at the end of November, was more of a harvest feast that was celebrated over a series of days in the fall season, most likely in October. So I guess the Canadians got that one more right than we did. Taking place in the Plymouth Colony, let's see how much our tryptophan-induced holiday resembles the original. Pretty much everything we know about the first Thanksgiving comes from one man's diary, Edward Winslow, when he writes, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together. After we had gathered the fruits of our labors, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and their greatest king Massasoit, with some ninety men whom, for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want, that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. That was hard to read, but from his writings we can figure out that around fifty colonists were joined by some ninety to a hundred Wampanoag Indians. Interesting side note, of the 50 colonists, only four married women attended the event, but that was actually a pretty large percentage of the adult female population of the Plymouth colony. Actually, it was the whole damn thing. You see, in the first year of settlement, disease and other hardships had plagued Plymouth, and many of the Mayflower's women died within the first year of landing. In many ways, this harvest feast was a way of celebrating their survival of the first year. And I will say that one commonality between these two very different worlds in attendance, that is, the indigenous Americans and those European immigrants that arrived on their shores, was the celebration of a good harvest and giving thanks. And harvest feasts were fairly common in Europe, and various tribal entities consider giving thanks part of a daily routine. And I suppose so did most European religious groups as well. Now let's take a second to run through the general celebration. In 1621, on the Plymouth Plantation, English pilgrims under the leadership of Governor William Bradford shared a feast with Wampanoag natives under the leadership of Osemaquin, who the English called Massasoit. They did in fact dine on venison, but the meal primarily consisted of fish and shellfish, as it was a coastal colony. Foods from local gardens were a heavy supplier of the feast, and possibly included pumpkins as well as cranberries, however the Plymouth colonists were certainly not dining on turkey pie and cranberry sauce or potatoes. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the importance of language in the success of the first Thanksgiving and the role of Tisquantum. What? You don't know about Tisquantum? Well, what if I called him Squanto? Yes, the English captive-turned-translator served as a liaison of sorts between the Plymouth colony and the local indigenous population. These communications no doubt played a crucial role in the development of temporary, if even pragmatic, diplomatic friendship. And Squanto had one hell of an interesting story himself. Let's revisit grade school for a second, where we were all taught of a great and peaceful Thanksgiving, when two very different worlds collided in the ultimate cross-cultural exchange and demonstrated that only when we work together can we possibly stand a chance at surviving. A sweet, endearing message for certain. And at the center of all this, of course, was Squanto, who just so happened to speak English. Which is odd, right? Of course it fucking is. So how did Squanto, a Patuxent Indian, come to learn English, such a short time after the pilgrim's arrival? Now, I'm sure many of you already know this one, but for those of you that don't and are learning along with me, the answer takes us to another European colonizer with an equally incredibly fun story, that is John Smith. You see, before Smith was pushing Jamestown through its starving time and not marrying Pocahontas, he was part of a voyage seeking out the Northwest Passage. One of the ship captains on this voyage, named Thomas Hunt, decided that it would be prudent for him to stop in the Plymouth area and capture about 20 unsuspecting Indians to sell into slavery. An action, by the way, that John Smith detested. Hunt and his crew headed back to Spain, where he attempted to sell his captives into slavery, some of which he did, until he was stopped by a group of priests, and the remaining Indians were freed-ish, baptized, and for some time Squanto lived in Spain. He eventually, by means relatively unknown, escaped and made his way to England, and from there he sailed with Captain Thomas Dermer to the Americas once more. After some minor hostilities in the Martha's Vineyard area, Squanto and Dermer separated. The latter fled to Virginia in 1620, and the former disappeared until he randomly appeared again at the swiftly fading Plymouth Colony. And the rest is history. But... Oddly enough, none of my elementary school teachers taught me much about, you know, the whole being captured and sold into slavery thing. Not to knock the American education system or anything, I probably wouldn't teach that to a group of fourth or fifth graders either. But anyways, fall celebrations took deep roots in New England life by the late 1600s, even though peaceful relations with the native population would deteriorate after Massasoit's death in 1661. But celebrating the fall harvest wasn't a Pilgrim Nor Harvest exclusive. In fact, English Days of Thanks had been formally held in celebration of royal births and other major events, including the defeat of the Spanish Armada. Historian James Baker even notes that the English celebrated a version of Thanksgiving in 1606 to commemorate the failed gunpowder plot of 1605. Today, of course, it's mostly called Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Day. Now, I doubt many of you remember this, but I actually discussed Thanksgiving all the way back in the Washington saga, as America's first president was the first to acknowledge a Thanksgiving holiday. While Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army, Washington regularly had his soldiers, quote, give thanks in the midst of the War of Independence, especially after big battles and victories. In reality, Washington is largely responsible for American celebration of Thanksgiving when he proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving celebration with an official proclamation on October 3, 1789. And this was the first one celebrated officially at the end of November, specifically the 26th. Washington believed that the day should, quote, "...be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness." He continues, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed. Although he expressed his liking of a national day of Thanksgiving being part of the American tradition, Washington's dedication and recognition of the day did not cement Thanksgiving into the nation's framework. So that makes me wonder, what did? Well, I will soon tell you. God, do I need a drink. Despite Washington's efforts, Thanksgiving tended to be a fringe holiday that was only irregularly celebrated. President Adams sporadically continued the tradition during his presidency, while Jefferson outright dismissed it. His reasoning was simple and unsurprising to any Jefferson historian. He saw it as a gross mixing of church and state. The federal government, in his mind, had no right to force the American people to follow a day of prayer and thanksgiving. But Jefferson and his enslaved chef, James Hemings, both of whom we have talked about on the show before, are credited with bringing something very Thanksgiving-esque to the U.S., that is, mac and cheese. Having lived in France while serving as ambassador to, you got this, come on, you can do it, France. Yes, very good. He encountered the Italian dish for the first time. Now, I know it's hard to imagine that mac and cheese, that is like the craft style of American garbage food, has Italian roots, but it really, you know, did. His chef, James, brought the dish, along with countless other French culinary stylings, to the U.S. by way of Monticello. And that included macaroni pie, or baked, better known as baked mac and cheese. And from there, the dish's popularity amongst the American population has only risen. Now, this was a fun fact that I learned. Apparently, the original dish had bourbon in it. But James, for some reason or another, decided to remove that bit. And yes, I do find myself a bit curious, was that the right call? Moving onward through our presidential history of Thanksgiving, Madison proclaimed a day of thanks on April 13th, 1815, no doubt to recognize the end of the War of 1812. But he would be the last president to make such a proclamation until Abraham Lincoln. I guess Americans just didn't have that much to be thankful for as they slowly but surely broke down the republic that Washington and the founders worked so hard to build in a misguided effort to maintain a cruel and evil institution that so many of those hypocritical founders both partook in and detested. But states continued to acknowledge their own individual Thanksgiving holidays each year. Moving to the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a day of Thanksgiving in the middle of the war in 1863. Hoping to celebrate Union victories, he actually cemented the national nature of the holiday. The irony, of course, is that the nation was literally divided in two. But, since 1863, the holiday has been celebrated annually by the country as a whole. Beyond this, it is believed that Turkey pardons started with Lincoln as well. And all of these precedents were quickly reinforced by Presidents Johnson and, even more so, Grant. Because who really gave a fuck what Andy Johnson had to say? Over the course of the 19th century, Americans began to develop and practice traditions that to us look very familiar, everything from turkeys to pumpkin pie and even parades. Theodore Roosevelt even had a Thanksgiving dinner held for his White House staff upon finding out that they were going to miss their own Thanksgiving dinners. He really was the best. But it was during FDR's presidency that things became even more official and, dare I say, problematic. Not only was Franklin Roosevelt the first president to celebrate the holiday outside the United States, but he also tried to move the holiday to, quote, extend the holiday shopping season. His plan was absolutely fucking harmless, but his Republican enemies totally disagreed. And in fact, one Kansas governor and presidential hopeful, more like hopeless, Alf Landon, denounced the move, saying Roosevelt, quote, sprung his decision on an unprepared country with the omnipotence of a Hitler. Maine's governor outright refused to carve a turkey on the earlier date choosing instead to dine on a can of sardines. The 1936 scandal came to be known as Franksgiving. In the end, 23 states would follow FDR's lead, while the remaining either chose to hold the original date or rather pragmatically celebrate both. But on October 6th, 1941, Congress and the executive finally agreed to settle the date on the fourth Thursday of November by a joint resolution. Little did we know that this squabble, or should I say gobble, would be the least of our problems, as just two months later, America would be at war. So why do we celebrate this day? How did it come to be sewn into the fabric of America? Is it Washington, Lincoln, FDR, the pilgrims? Mm, I'm not so sure. Instead, one of the truest reasons I have found might be centered in the life and legacy of an editor and author named Sarah Josepha Hale, who is someone we have all heard of even if we don't know it, as Sarah Hale is the author of the famous nursery rhyme Mary Had a Little Lamb. Sarah Hale is quite the interesting figure and certainly a great mind. She successfully advocated for the creation and completion of the Bunker Hill Memorial, as well as raised funds alongside people like Eliza Hamilton for the creation of the Washington Monument. A New England native, Hale, then Sarah Buell, was briefly a schoolteacher and writer before marrying attorney David Hale. Her husband was a rare patriarch for the time who actually encouraged Sarah to continue and pursue her passion of writing, and after his death, his Freemason's Lodge helped her to publish her first book of poems, The Genius of Oblivion, fucking amazing title by the way, in 1823. Hale would publish a novel four years later titled Northwood, Life of North and South, which was one of the first novels written on the subject of slavery. Following the success of this book, she would be asked to move to Boston to serve as editor of Ladies Magazine, and later American Ladies Magazine. It was there that she published countless poems and stories, including Mary Had a Little Lamb. She would spend much of her time advocating for the advancement of women's education and served as a patron of Vassar College. But what does this have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, let me tell you. As early as 1827, Hale had been advocating for Thanksgiving to be recognized as a national holiday, printing dozens of articles in her magazines. She continued her campaign for more than three decades, while writing for, and serving as editor of, Godey's Lady Book, where she once wrote, quote, Thanksgiving, like the 4th of July, should be a national festival observed by all the people, as an exponent of our Republican institutions. She even published several recipe books for Thanksgiving meals and called on the President of the United States as the one person who could formally declare Thanksgiving to be a permanent national holiday. Which brings us full circle, by the way, to that whole mac and cheese thing that I snuck in earlier, as the dish's popularity and casual ties to the Thanksgiving holiday may also be credited to Hale, as it was one of the many recipes included in an 1861 issue of Gaudy's Lady Book. And when one digs deeper... In the following years, mac and cheese recipes could be found in countless cookbooks across the nation. It was during her tenure as editor that Gaudy's circulation doubled, reaching more than 150,000 people per month, which is way more, by the way, than this podcast, and earned her the title Queen of the Monthlies. She used her position to advocate for women's education, as I said, and Gaudy's is even credited for popularizing decorated Christmas trees, being one of the first publications to showcase what is also now a holiday tradition in the United States. It seems to me that in her time at Godey's, Hale certainly shaped a lot of American tradition. As for the magazine, the publication was sold just one year after her retirement, and publications came to an end in 1896. During her editorial career, which spanned from 1837 to 1877, she wrote to five different presidents calling for action regarding the issue of Thanksgiving. In 1849, Zachary Taylor left the issue to the state governments to decide, but her endless campaigning finally paid off when Lincoln made his famous 1863 proclamation. Hale finally retired as editress, as she preferred to be called, at the age of 89, after decades of writing, activism, tradition-making, and trailblazing. It was that same year that Thomas Edison made his first successful phonograph recording, a machine, by the way, that he first used to record and echo the words, Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. Hale died just two years later. But let's not sit here and act like we are the only ones that celebrate Thanksgiving. No, quite unsurprisingly, the U.S. isn't the only place in the world that has things to be thankful for. In fact, many countries do, and some do it for different reasons. Of course, Canada, our neighbor to the north with similar English roots, also celebrates Thanksgiving, but not in November. Canadian Thanksgiving occurs on the second Monday in October, but for very similar reasons, and as I said earlier, it seems they might have been more accurate on that one. Pretty much all Thanksgiving celebrations are centered around giving thanks for something. Fucking shocker, I know. But many have different things to be thankful for. From Liberia and Africa, Grenada and St. Lucia and the Caribbean, and of course Brazil and South America, they all celebrate an annual national Thanksgiving holiday. And some in the Netherlands celebrate in large part due to the fact that the original thanksgivers, the pilgrims, lived in Leiden in the years preceding their American voyage. But no one does it quite like the U.S., at least as far as I've seen. Many a memory of a table full of family members drinking wine halfway to a food-induced coma do I have, and I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. Well, let's wrap this up and move to the drink. Today, in honor of this episode's first recording, I return to another shot of Wild Turkey 101, which was, you know, Wild Turkey 101. But I will be rating the beer instead. In terms of taste, well, like I said, this one was a one-and-done for me, but that one was very good. Smoother than most pumpkin ales I've tried this year, I am thankful that it didn't taste overly like cheap pumpkin. Normally, I would say this was a four-pointer, but I'm going to give it five for being one of the best-tasting pumpkin ales I've had this year. Price, well, that was trickier. I tried it at a bar, and it was 7 bucks for a 12-ounce draft. Worth it, but pricey, and I couldn't find it in the stores and wasn't driving all the way down to Fort Myers to try and get a few cans. So we'll split it right down the middle at three points for price. And I will definitely have another one of these next year. So I'll give it five points for a likely but only seasonal return. And I'm giving it an equally high score as I would highly suggest anything that comes out of Palm City Brewing. Hazify is one of the best Florida beers out there. 13 out of 18 points and five crowns. Well, that's it. Thanksgiving history is certainly an interesting one, and one that many have probably heard before, at least parts of it. I can't say that I went into this knowing the full story. I certainly didn't know about Sarah Josepha Hale and her little lamb, but I do now. Honestly, the exploration of these new unique topics, which I like to learn as I go, is one of the things that I am most thankful for. That, and Mrs. D. Jim H., Latte, by the way, who is the worst podcasting partner money can buy, and all my show guests, Luke, Kelly, Cullen, and Sherry. And again, I'm thankful for all of my listeners, and I would be even more thankful if you would follow the show on Instagram and Twitter and join the DGMH Facebook group. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then we hope you consider leaving the show a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you're all caught up and looking for even more DGMH, then we hope you'll consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. There, listeners can get access to even more great content, including access to our chat series where Colin chats with me about China's rich history that I know next to nothing about, and Pete Chats Portugal, where I chat with Cullen about the forgotten and often ignored history of Portugal. Beyond that, you can get access to countless last call episodes from your favorite rounds of A Twist of Psych and Shots Heard Round the World, plus there's what I'm teaching, which seems to be taking up more and more of my time, and of course a moment with Mr. DGMH, currently on The Bourbon Reforms, and another moment with Mr. DGMH where I meander my way through the epic shit show that was The 30 Years' War. Beyond that, there's a moment with my high school history teacher where Cullen talks about various historical topics of his choosing, and finally, pregame. I always forget about pregame. Yeah, so now that's definitely it. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Wherever you are, whether or not you celebrate, Thanksgiving is about being thankful for what you have, the things that matter most. It is a day to be mindful, not just foolful. Full. But that doesn't mean we should go and forget about everyone else. Be with family, be kind, and sure, have a drink or two but always drink responsibly. For me, I never knew Thanksgiving was such a battle, nor that it was steeped in such a rich history. So many of us probably just think Squanto showed up and we celebrated forevermore. Well, we fucking didn't. Thanksgiving was a battlefield. Politicians, presidents, and Mary with her little fucking lamb all factored into this chaotic cornucopia of social and political interests, civil war, and Great Depressions. This holiday wasn't always celebrated. We shouldn't take it for granted. But it sure as hell is celebrated now, and for that we should all be thankful. Cheers!